is the Bob McCallum Podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today with John Shannon and uh, Shani. Some basketball news today, and we'll talk about it later on in the program, that being Nick Nurse was fired by the Toronto Raptors. And that's imp- important to know is that this was not Nurse's decision, although he was talking as though it might be his decision at the end of the year. Well, uh, the Raptors the big decided difference. to fire him. The big difference is, if 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 it was his decision, uh, he walks away with no money. If it's their decision, he gets eight million dollars. Well, and he got the eight million. Is That's what right. happened because he got fired. In any yeah. event, we'll talk about that and extensively later on in the program. But some hockey talk as we are in the Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup playoffs, right? Yes, sir. John? Thank you Thank very you. much. Keeps me happy. Uh, Eric Dohachik will join us along with Scott Burnside, and we'll take a look at round one and how things are going. We'll be back after this message. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the BetRivers Sports and Casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. Bet Rivers. Dot com. McCown and Shannon back uh, with you, along with uh, Eric Duhachik, Scott Burnside, today as we take a look at the ongoing NHL playoffs. Oh, Stanley no, Cup no, playoffs. no. Stanley Cup playoffs. Okay. I am, I, I am, this, is, this is the bane of my existence. Yes. Stanley Cup playoffs. Just like that little trophy over my shoulder. Stanley okay, Cup. Ha- has I, nothing to do with the NHL then, right? It, it has... Everything to do with professional hockey in North America. That would be you the two, NHL. You two are like a bickering old couple that has the wow. same argument over and over again. Well, as I, and yeah. as I would say to both of you guys, you would know. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know why this is the like the bane of his existence is. It is. Referring to this as the oh. Stanley Cup playoffs all the Thank time. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Bob. That's very kind of you to refer to it. Well, I was referring to you. I'm not referring to oh. me. <laughs> okay, um, go. Well, look at, you know, I, I what I've been saying is, you know, we have 10, 12 teams that are 100-point teams. So it's no surprise that, um, to me at least, that in the early part of these playoffs, we have – um, a degree of parity, and but quite a number of teams have won on the road in their first couple of games. So, uh, the, you know, and that continues with the Toronto Police uh, beating Tampa Bay and really crushing Tampa Bay. Let's start with that one then. Um, are you surprised that it was as easy as it was for the Maple Leafs in game two, guys? Eric, 
Yes, yes, but but well, put it this way: if you had asked me at the, at the start of the series, how is this going to go? I, I felt it could be a one-one-two-two-three-three series, just as it was last year. And you get down to that final game, and then you see, you know, who can raise the level at at, at that critical moment in time. But I also thought the games would be a lot uh, a lot closer, and and the Leafs looked like jittery and out of sorts, and, and got average goaltending charitably, I guess, in the first game, and then. Then they bounced back in the second game. To me, there was more of a hockey reason for it in, in, in the second game because um, Tampa's defense, I mean, when, it, when I was breaking down all of the teams going into the playoffs, the one thing that I thought was significantly different was last year they really relied on Ryan McDonough. I think, John, you and I had this conversation mm-hmm. uh, going into the playoffs, how, how critical a piece he was for that team, just a guy that you know burns minutes quietly and, and that has a physical presence and they took him out of the mix for salary cap reasons and they never really replaced the impact that that he had and so you're 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 down one key member of your of your championship team and then you lose Chernak to the injury and Hedman played what six minutes or something like that and then and then you then you look at their defense and it's not very good if they you know Hedman can't get back and and if Chernak can't get back, they they don't have the one to six bodies on the defense in Tampa to beat Toronto. So I, I think that, you know the the injuries there fundamentally changed the, the series. I think it was it was heading in one direction after Game One, and and when you just simply look at that Tampa lineup right now, it's not very good. And and as we know with injuries, you know. Could be back, might not be back. Not going to say we, then, you know, when the dust settles at the end of the round, we'll we'll know uh, w- what the end result is. But to me, I have a hard time believing that Tampa can win this series if they don't start getting those help, those bodies back on defense. The only the only condition though that I see here, and Burnside, I'll throw this at you, is that you know these two injuries happened uh, in the first period, right? Or by the end of the first period, well, Tampa won that won the rest of the game, even in the in uh, in game one, with those injuries in hand. Do you think it, it, the injuries to the two defensemen, granted they're probably their top two defensemen, played a big impact in what happened in game two? Yeah, well, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I think when you look at, you know, how Julian Breezeball has built this team that's gone to three straight Stanley Cup finals, he's been a magician at finding pieces that other teams have ignored or grown weary of. And whether it's been Kevin Shattenkirk or Luke Shen and Zach Bogosian, and, and they have played pivotal roles. You know, Zach Bogosian played with Victor Hedman um, in the first Stanley Cup run um, as a partner. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's amazing hockey acumen as you can find players that have been discarded by other teams and, and not just have them come into your lineup, but to play pivotal, pivotal roles. But Eric's absolutely right. If you don't have those, you know, the cornerstone pieces of your blue line, then, then, you know, other players are exposed because they're asked to do things that they're not built to do. And I, I, uh, and I listen, this is a good leaf team. They're explosive offensively. They should be able to exploit uh, a Tampa team without those kinds of players in the lineup. And that's the nature of 
of the of the playoff dynamic, right? When you're, you know, I'm covering the Minnesota Wild and the Dallas Stars, right? The Ryan Hartman and Joel Erickson X, um, you know, not in the lineup, top two centers, and and they they get beaten badly in game two by Dallas. Now both those guys may be back for game three tonight. It changes everything. And and Eric's right. If that blue line doesn't get healthy and in a hurry, then the Leafs should be able to capitalize on that. As long as they get even average goaltending moving forward, they should beat Tampa. The amazing thing about it, and and we've all lived playoff histrionics for decades, all four of us, (laughs) is the ebbs and flows. Because here we are now, there's no question about Samson off in goal for the Maple Leafs. And all of a sudden, the guy that had been to 17 consecutive Stanley Cup uh, uh, playoff years in Marc-Andre Fleury was a giant mistake to put in in game two. And, 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 and now when Minnesota goes home and Tampa goes home, there'll be no questions about Samson off for the Maple Leafs, but there's going to be a big question. Well, it's got to be Gustafson for the Wild, right, uh, right Scotty? <laughs> yeah, but uh, and I don't... Yeah, I, I do think that those those are great storylines, and I think it speaks to you know how the game has changed and how teams do. It, it's very rare now that you have a goaltender like a Vasilevsky or a Shesterkin or Sorokin in uh, with the New York Islanders who play um, you know three quarters of your games or whatever the percentage is. Right? That it is about a tandem and it is about load management, and you know. I know people were all over Dean Evison, uh, but I, I don't. I just think if you, if that's your plan, if you say we like both our goalies, and you know the kid Gustafson plays double overtime in Game One, his first ever NHL playoff game, and if your plan is we're going to use the future Hall of Famer Mark Andre Fleury in Game Two, then then that's your plan, and you, you stick with it, and you hope it works out, and it, and it didn't work out. It wasn't all Mark Andre Fleury's fault. God, he's you know he's shorthanded breakaway. The first shot of the game goes into the net. The you know the penalty kill hasn't been great for the the Wild, and Dallas is real good with the man advantage. So it's all kinds of stuff that happened. But I just like it if you have a plan and you stick to it. And if it doesn't go right, well then you fix it and you move on, right? Like you know that to me that's the you have to have conviction in your belief, and I think that's what you saw from the Wild. I don't have a problem with it, even though. You know, and you still come away with a split. So I'm not sure you should complain. And we're moving we're moving buildings now. We're we're in that transit zone, right? So everybody's gonna play, you know, the classic case, you're only in trouble if you win at home, right? So so now Minnesota's at home. Toronto's going to Tampa. Do you do you sense any momentum, Eric, in any of these series that says, you know what? This is now going to be the most important game of the series. I would assume for the Islanders more than anybody. Um, but I, I, I do, I do think in the, in the Toronto Tampa situation, I, I think this game is so important for the lightning at this point, simply because of the injuries. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you have to win four. So no game three is, is critical in a one, one series. I don't think, because no matter what the six series that are one, one, somebody is going to be up two one, and that, that, that's just the reality. And you're, and if you're, if you're down, you're, you're still in it. Um, obviously the, you know, the two teams that are on the ropes, the, you know, but I think, you know, very rarely once in a great while, a team comes back in the NHL from three Oh, but it doesn't happen very often. And I don't expect that it's going to happen this year. So, so the two teams that are, that are under the gun are the you know, two of the three New York teams that made it <clears throat> New York sneaked in at the last minute, got a little bit lucky. I thought that Pittsburgh lost when they, when they did, 
And then New Jersey was an interesting team for me. So I, one of the assignments that I get, I, I do every year at the Athletic, which Burnside used to do, is you know I contact a scout, general manager, and coach, and I just get them to anonymously pick series. And I have, I always have an idea in my own mind about how this is going to go. And then I'm always surprised at, at how it goes because I thought for sure I would have three people picking the New York Rangers in that series. And my my pitch to them was. I see Jersey today being where the Rangers were a year ago, an up-and-coming young team, 47-year-over-point, year-over-year uh, improvement. You know, lots of things went right. They went out and got Timo Meyer. That's exciting. It's this and it's that. But you know what? The Rangers have a year of playoff experience under their belt. They were the young up-and-coming team last year. They went out and got Kane. They went out and got Tarasenko. And they have the better goalie. I, I thought that the Rangers would win pretty easily. And yet, Two of my three guys picked New Jersey. So I thought, okay, I guess they're seeing something that I'm not. And then after the first two games, it's like, no, I think I was right. But <laughs> so, and, and the Devils could still come back. I'm not saying that they can't. But, but again, our job is to sort of take two steps back and look at the broad picture. And it just looks like Rangers experience versus the Devils, you know, kind of playing with house money because they had such a great regular season. That, that just felt like, like it, it was going to be a New York series. You know, maybe I'll be proven wrong in this the next, you know, seven to nine days. But, but that one seemed pretty, pretty straightforward to me anyway. I do not want to uh, turn this into a Toronto Maple Leafs show. However, there's one issue that I think we need to discuss, and that's been in games one and two, the Maple Leafs have had their big guy missing. Matthews is the guy who you expect to be their leader. You expect to have the puck, do extraordinary things with it, and score a lot of goals. And he's been MIA as far as I can see, Burnside, don't you think? Um, well, uh, watching from afar, uh, you know, they, I, you know, certainly you can point a lot of fingers after the, the game one debacle, mm -hmm. which is what it was. And Yeah, I'm um, not blaming him. I'm just saying no. I don't think he's been – he has not been the presence – that you would think he would be. Yeah. I, you know what? I always think though early in the series and, you know, I guess it's the age old question, you know, when, does, when does it start to get late instead of being early, <laughs> but early in the series, I, I, you know, and you're one, one. Okay. You know, I, I, to me, it's not the issue of why didn't Austin Matthews dominate in either games one or games two. And your, and your points is well taken, right? I mean, I just, I love John Tavares's game in game two and, you know, like, so it does, to me, it matters only when it really matters. And John, I'm with, I'm not sure that game three is the game. Uh, obviously you want to, you really want to push Tampa as quickly as you can. Um, so they don't regroup, but to me, it's going to be, uh, and I covered game six, Tampa, Toronto in Tampa last year. And I thought Austin Matthews was real good. It was a real good hockey game. Those are the moments, right? Mm -hmm. To me, that's the moment when you push that team for the first time since 2004 into the second round. I don't care if Austin Matthews doesn't do anything for the first six games, frankly, if it takes that long. But at some point, that's his moment. And I, that's what I want to see. And, and I think that's going to be part of the, whether it's a legacy or however you want to frame it. In the moment in this series, when it's time to move on, I expect that's when Austin Matthews will step to the fore. And if he doesn't, and for some reason they don't win this series, well, then you can start to really ask the questions about are, what kind of player are you? But I don't think you can ask it after two games. Yeah. E, do you agree? 
Yeah, yeah. And again, I, I, I'm paying only peripheral attention to these because uh, I was up, up in Edmonton with uh, the Oilers in Los Angeles. And, and you, you could almost say the same thing about Connor McDavid. I mean, he, he was yeah, you could. One. He, had, he had one assist in, in game two. Um, I mean, McDavid is such a presence because, you know, like a lot of times he can do things that, that don't necessarily materialize on, on the score sheet. Uh, in, in game one, for example, even though it was held off the score sheet, he drew two consecutive penalties within about a minute, which got the Oilers up five on three on the power play, and then they scored on, on the power play. And he's always directing traffic on me. So I, 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 like, he's not playing poorly. He's playing well, but he has not appeared on the score sheet. The best Oiler has been Leon Dreisaitl. And so this, to me, raises a, a question that, that came up like a week ago when our awards ballots were dropped in our, in our emails. Where do you put Leon Dreisaitl? Because a lot of people are probably going to leave him off their ballots because he plays in the shadow of, of McDavid. And then I think about what Dreisaitl did for Edmonton in the playoffs last year and what he's doing this year. I mean, he, he drives the team you know, in the same way that McDavid does, and they don't play together except on the power play. Like he, he in that first game, Drysaddle, oh, he, he was so good. And and Kane and, and Yamamoto, I thought, really weren't great, but he just he he just drove that line, and and he was the best player on the ice in in, in game two. So um, the beauty of I think Toronto and Edmonton is they don't rely on just one guy. I think mm-hmm. you know in Edmonton's case, you know, Drysaddle is such a 1B? I, I don't even want to call him a 1B. Like, you know, to me, he's the second or third best player in, in, in the league this year. And if you have that luxury, you can get a single point from Connor McDavid, be square in the series, and, and go into Los Angeles knowing that at some point he's going to erupt. And uh, and I, I think that the same could be said for Austin Matthews. You know, the, well, the, the, key, the, the same thing... could be said. You, you know, you talk about dry settles importance. Marner's importance is... is, uh, is, uh, is, is but Marner, Marner's been better Toronto. than... Marner's been better than Matthews all season. Marner has been better. Yeah, you could than, argue that. Well, there's no argument. I mean, it's, it's, it's truthful yeah. because he plays. He, he plays in the power play. He kills penalty. He plays five on five. Has yeah, I more, get it? He's he's much more. The thing in Edmonton with uh, with Leon and Connor is that I I think the Kings. And by the way, the Oilers are a much better team when you go eleven and seven. Because now you've yeah. got that. Now you can play the wild card. Is okay. Who you know? Who who's going out? after a second shift is yeah. it Leon going out or Connor going out and Kopitar and, and, and Dano can't play every second shift. Right. So, so all of a sudden Connor's value is, is almost as a distraction. <laughs> Connor's value is to make sure that um, he, he can keep Kopitar engaged or Dano engaged. And then Leon can get that extra shift with, Clem Costin and Derek Ryan with Derek Ryan, which led to the first goal. Exactly, John. Yeah. Well, that's exactly it. I, 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 when they went twelve and six in the first game, because again, you know, you can't watch every minute of every hockey game. I went to my colleagues in Edmonton and I said, you know, to Jim Matheson, I said, how long have they been going twelve and six? And he said, no, they've been doing it a while. I said, I like eleven and seven way better. And then they have been so much better eleven and seven all season long. Exactly. Yeah. And they were forced into it because of the injury to, to Yanmark, but it made them a better team because as you say, you know, both of those guys, Dreisaitl and McDavid can play 24 minutes a night. It doesn't affect them. This is a conversation I had with Nick Bukestad in the dressing room. I guess it was before, ahead of the game because Bukestad played with Crosby and we were talking about those, those guys. And McKinnon is another guy like that. Mm. These guys that, that 
A, have this unbelievable ability as, as a player, and then and B, have this presence in leadership. And But then he spoke about their stamina. He says, these guys play 24 minutes a night. They come back the next day, and they're the best player at practice. He said, you know, like he was he was marveling at, at the capacity of these guys to eat the big minutes, to play effectively in those big minutes, and then to come back and play the big minutes again and again. And I thought that was a really interesting point, which, by the way, you can read in my column today. <laughs> 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 oh, we allow blatant plugs on this show. For the record, <laughs> guys, we got to take a break. We'll be back nope. in uh, a moment. To Hachik and Burnside are with us back after this. Spring is here, and so are the long days, warm weather, and yard work. If you're anything like me, then you know how easy it is to get behind on your spring to-do list. But Factor is here to help. The number one ready-to-eat meal kit can help you fuel up fast with ready-to-eat meals delivered right to your door, saving you time to get the things you need to do done. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. We offer delicious, flavor-packed options on the menu each week to fit a variety of lifestyles like keto to calorie smart, vegan, or veggie. With over 34 chef-prepared, dietitian-approved weekly options, there's always something new to try. With Factor, you can rest assured you're making a sustainable choice. Head to factormeals.com slash bobcast50 and use code bobcast50 to get 50% off of your first box. That's code bobcast50 at factormeals.com slash bobcast50 to get 50% off of your first box. Uh, we are back. So, um, essentially, we're two games into the playoffs on every front. What's the biggest surprise? Has there been one? Well, Eric touched on the Devils Rangers. I was one of those people who thought that the Devils, because of their depth and the way that they play, and I just love how Tom Fitzgerald has built that team. I, I thought that they would be, um, I thought they would beat the Rangers. I thought it'd be a long, fun, entertaining series. And Rangers just absolutely, you know, choked the life out of the devils and man it's going to be you know never say never but you know and the fact that it was done in new jersey in games one and two to me that's the biggest surprise but and the one that i'm i loved winnipeg going into this playoff year and i you did huh I, yeah i love them it they're a sour griping miserable bunch <laughs> that you know that you know didn't uh, they wouldn't talk to the media and rick bonus is calling out his players and they nearly choke away this giant lead and fall out of the playoffs but i love you know connor hellbuck is just he's an elite goaltender he'd be um if i was voting i don't vote this year because i do content for carolina and now for minnesota but um he would be and i they don't we don't write vote on the Vezina anyway, GMs do, um, but he'd be on my Vezina ballot. And I just like their, they're, they're just, there's a, a rough edge to that team. And I thought that Vegas might be a little vulnerable and, you know, no shot at Lauren Boisois, but who, you know, was good in game two. But I think Winnipeg is going to give Vegas all they can handle, even though Vegas, you know, getting Mark Stone back and Shea Theodore late in the regular season, they're a real good team as well. But I think that series is going to be, and the first two games bear this out, I think it's going to be long. And I think Winnipeg's going to win that series, but it's going to be fun to watch. And, and it has been early on. And, and I'm pleased for the, you know, I'm pleased for those fans in Winnipeg. They got a little, you know, what it was kind of, you know, this sort of moaning about the fans not showing up. And, you know, it's been a difficult time there for the last couple of years. And so, um, 
I, I'm I'm curious to see how the rest of it plays out, but I do like the Jets to win that series. You know, the fascination, just a total aside, because you're right, Scotty. Um, do you know how many sellouts Winnipeg has had this year? I don't even know. Five. Not many. Yeah, not many. Five. Hmm. We're talking the smallest building in the league, and – you know, that first wave of the first 10 years where the team was, you know, you know, we can't lose them this time. Well, people got pissed off yeah. after their season last year. And they they basically told ownership, we're not very happy and you yeah. better do something. And, yeah. you know, they're gonna, the, the, the game on Saturday afternoon is going to be the sixth sellout all season long in Winnipeg, which to me is a, a little indication about, you know, you you can't fool everybody all the time just because you have a hockey team in Canada. So so is this where we tell the story about how the Jets moved back to Atlanta then? Is this the plan? Scotty, where are you based again? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that I, I do, yeah. <laughs> I, I do want to say this about the Jets, though, because this is really, you know, next year is such an important year for Kevin Shovel Day off and, you know, you know, contract years for Blake Wheeler, Mark Shifley, and Dylan DeMello, and Connor Hellebach. So there, if you can't, if you can't make something of that roster in, in this playoff run, it, like the, uh, there are a lot of questions about how the roster construct there moving forward. So and again, I think this adds to this, you know, this, the urgency, at least I perceive it as urgency for this franchise to to have a good, strong playoff run. They haven't, really, they haven't yeah. done anything since going to the West Final in 18, right? So, By the way, uh, by the way, uh, one of those guys you mentioned uh, in the first two games has not been a factor, and that's 55. He has not been a factor yet. Wheeler has. Wheeler yeah. has really has played well. Uh, Dubois was great in game one, wasn't the factor in game two. But Shifley has not been a factor in either game, and I am shocked at that. Because to your point, you know, he, he his cage was rattled 15 times this year that you better get your act together. And now you're in the playoffs, man. Come on. And, and to be fair, he did improve year over year by a substantial amount, John. I mean, he had, he had a real good regular season, but you're right. I mean, this now that it matters. But there was a direct correlation, Eric, between the yep. swoon they had the second half of the season and his play in the second half of the season. Yep. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And and he's in and and I I just I can only think and I mean I, you know I'm a I'm a simple guy. I I, I, I is I see a, a guy with his talent and he looks across the ice and sees that number 61 for for Vegas in Mark Stone giving every ounce, every shift, every time and he has this is the, he's played two complete games since January the 12th and he was the best player on the ice last night. He was the best player on the ice. Come on, can't you can't you understand that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, but Shifley drives me nuts. I don't know if you notice that. <laughs> if well, you think he drives you nuts, what do you? And you don't even work for Winnipeg. No, <laughs> but, I, I, but I will tell you, I will tell you, Eric. Rick Bonus has done a marvelous job all season long when he says, well, you know, we need something from most guys. We need this and that. Never once in any press conference has he mentioned Mark Shifley's name. He has been a brilliant communicator without throwing any of his stars under the bus. He's been fantastic. Well, is this a guy in Shifley that you would consider trading during the offseason? I would have traded him last offseason. 
And I would have bought Wheeler out last last offseason. Because you're not going to win the Stanley Cup with them. You're not. Well, I mean, I think this becomes a question during this offseason because if this Winnipeg team goes out in the first round um, and they have the kind of ticket sales that we're talking about here, you're probably you're going to have to do something. And you're going to have to do something pretty dramatic. And Shifley's name would be probably at the top of that list, would it not? Well, he was at the top of the list last year, too. And I think that the other guy, though, is Pierre-Luc Dubois. So right now, you know, Dubois is, you know, I I thought he had a really good year. And as you said, John, he had a really good first playoff game. But but he doesn't, it doesn't feel as if he's committed to that market either. And so if he's looking for, you know, a a way out um, in the way, say, Matthew Kachuk was in, in Calgary last year, um, you may see a, a major reshuffling there. Well, that's interesting you say it that way because when Winnipeg got the team many, many years ago and I was on the radio, you know, I brought out the story that several members of what were then the um, Thrashers um, were not happy that they were going to Winnipeg and they wanted out at that point. And I know that that was a controversial story that kind of faded into the uh, oblivion because of the nature of the league. Um, you wonder, is this a market people that players want to play in? And the answer I think is no, it's not. But, uh, but, but don't, it's, you know, that there are, I think there are still, I don't think there are many places people don't want to go, but part of the reason that, you know, and when it's, it's going to be hard for Winnipeg and it was hard for Edmonton for a long time, but yes. guess what? You know, Connor McDavid plays there and Leon Dreisaitl, guess what? I think I'd like to go there and play. So to me, that's why it's so important for the Jets to have us, you know, I'm not saying they need to win a cup, but got to win a round at least maybe two. Exactly. I think but so. I, then, but but, yeah. but I, I also think that that's one of the reasons why they've held on to these guys so long. Mm-hmm. And that's why they put, you know, put them under long-term contract, make try to reward them because the only way you're like, you're not signing free agents in Winnipeg. You're not exactly. signing very many. You're not signing very many. So the only way you're going to win is you're going to draft and develop. Yeah. You, you know, Wheeler came from the thrashers. Shifley was a first round pick. So, so those two guys have been there from day one. Um, and it's a it, when we talk about living in a fishbowl, well, Winnipeg's a fishbowl, and it's a small yeah. fishbowl, and that's a hard place to play if you're not winning. Yeah. yeah, but I will say this, you know, Bob, I don't think you can generalize because if you go case by case, you know, they've convinced Josh Morrissey to stay, they've convinced Kyle Connor to stay, they've convinced Nikolai Ehlers to stay. You know, good, good, good players like to play with other good mm-hmm. players. If if all of a sudden there's a yeah and uh, you know, a, a departure of, of good players, then then it gets harder, and and it gets hard in, in every market. I mean, you know, they're, yeah. they're you know, the team that players at a certain stage in their careers, especially when they get to the stage of their careers, when they can make decisions based on you know being free agents. So you can pick and choose. You know, the money is going to be there. So what what's important? Family and lifestyle is important, and the chance to win is important. So yeah. as long as there's the perception is that you still have a chance to win there, you you'll be able to you'll manage fine. Once I get it. Leaves, oh, it gets, it gets really dicey. Well, and I think they're at, they're at that point right now. Don't you? No, yeah. Where crossroads. They, it's a crossroads. They, and that's, that's why Scotty made the point that this is a critical year for them to, to yeah. you know, to do something in the playoffs. And, and his perception is that they have a chance. I like the way Vegas battles. I mean, you know, to me, I see a lot of similarities between what's going on in Vegas right now and what went on in, in that first year 
Um, Vegas, none of those, the pieces don't seem to fit. It looks like one of those jigsaw puzzles where you've got all these square pegs and all these round holes and you look at it and you think, "Ah, this shouldn't work. And yet somehow they've managed to make it greater than the sum of the individual parts, which is what the formula was in that first year. Uh, to make it work. I mean, they're playing Laurent Brassois in, in goal right now. They have five different goaltenders this year, and that doesn't even include Robin Leonard, who was the nominal number one and didn't play a minute for them. They've had so many injuries. All those guys have been hurt at different times this year. Martinez, Theodore, uh, Petrangelo. It, it's it, 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 it's a, a really interesting collection of, of, of players. Jack Eichel, you know, you think about you know Austin Matthews being under, under the gun, mm-hmm. Bob. Jack Eichel, uh, he played his first playoff game the other day. Lots and lots of scrutiny and, and, and pressure on him. And yet, I, I, I like the way they play. And I think that to John's point, it's because Mark Stone wills these guys into the battle every single shift. Look at the energy. Look at the emotion. You need that at this time of year. You can't just have, you know, like a 40-second passive shift and then onto the bench. Lots of times in the regular season, players don't have it in the tank, and, and you see that. But but that's not the way you win in the playoffs. And for sure, the way uh, Stone came out last night, it, it was it yeah. an incredible thing yeah. to see. Hey, so. before before we let you go, has Colorado solved the problem of the Kraken? Well, so, okay, so I, John, I'll interrupt because that, that was the thing that, you know, when, when Bob posed the question at the beginning of the thing, Seattle was the team that I wanted to talk about just because – you know, for four periods, Seattle really, really looked good, and and yeah. they they are underrated in the sense that you know they're the difference between their top forward and and their bottom forward. It, it isn't that much of a gap, so you can play the kind of four line game that Dave Axtell has them playing. And then if you break down Colorado, you know when when you think about you know well they they have five guys that that have to play over nineteen minutes a night, which they did in game two, and then they have six forwards that are playing under ten minutes a night. So the gap between the top end in Colorado and the bottom end is enormous. And uh, I mean, McKinnon, you know, was fantastic. Again, he, he he has those same qualities as Mark Stone on every shift. He's just bringing people in into the fight. So, you know, they Colorado has a far better high end, but Seattle has a better all around team right now. And I think, I think that series is, is long, a long way from over. And if Seattle can play with the same poise they did on the road at home, because really, it was just a little bit of a lapse in the second period that allowed Colorado to get back in the game. It was a it was a war after that. I, I think that's that's the other series I've been paying attention to, and and I like hmm. it. It's a fun series to watch, and I think that it could easily go the distance. The uh, yeah, no. last point, sorry, Scotty. Uh, the last point I want to make in in this conversation, we haven't talked about uh, Boston and Florida. And that's a series I've become interested in. Not that I wouldn't have before, but the Boston Bruins were so good during this regular season, but they got pasted by Florida in game two. And there's a question in my mind as to whether Florida is actually in this series or not. Scotty, are they? Yeah, no, I think they are. And I felt right from the get-go that they were going to give Boston all they could handle because they're, they're in a completely different role than they were a year ago coming off the President's Trophy win. True. And, you know, the pressure, I think there was you know, the, we've arrived as a franchise after years, you know, of, of sort of floundering. And um, and they looked bad in the playoffs last year. And this year they scrape in. Um, there's a lot that's gone wrong and they've had injuries. And, you know, was Paul Maurice the right fit there and all those kinds of things. But then you get in and it's the ultimate playoff cliches that you get in. Who knows what happens? And, you know, I think the Bruins, you know, listen, no Patrice Bergeron and, 
you know, that's a real troubling thing for a Boston team playing in these kinds of games because he's just, you know, he's magnificent. And this is what he does, right? He's built for these moments and not have him, Um, you know, and Florida's got a lot going offensively, you know, Venus Olmark, you know, he has very little playoff experience. I think he played two games, uh, both losses against Carolina last year. So, you know, and uh, listen, Alex Lyon is what a story, right? Comes out of nowhere to save the Panther season. Can he do it over seven games? I don't know. That's a lot to ask. And the Bruins are real, real good. Look at me breaking news here. But uh, I do think Florida, they're playing with house money. And sometimes now that's going to be a dangerous thing for Boston. You know, Florida will have to be careful not to, you know, get too wound up playing at home, um, having split in Boston. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a game seven roll around in that series. And how, wow. how much fun is that? I, I tell you what, yeah, no Bergeron, you're right. But right now I wonder where David Pasternak is, you know, I'm two games hasn't <laughs> yeah. been there. And the other thing is that this, this Florida team was going to be rebuilt by Bill Zito uh, to be a little grittier for playoffs. And it, all it took was two former Calgary flames to do it. Sam Bennett, who was great in game two after coming off injury, and Matthew Kachuk. So, and if the only if only the Calgary Flames had grit like that, Eric, we wouldn't be talking about only three Canadian teams. Sorry. Anyway, we, we have to sign off though, right? We can't get because that's a twenty minute conversation. And I don't no, think we have time we'll, for that. We'll 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 save yeah, that we'll when they sure. hire a new manager. How's that? All right. Good. Yeah. Uh, it was just a glimpse of what's going on right now, but we'll do it again. We thank you both for uh, taking time for us today. We appreciate it much, and uh, we'll see you soon, I hope. Thank you, Eve. Thank you, Scotty. Yeah, take care, guys. We'll be back in a moment. When was the last time everyone agreed on what's for dinner? You want Chinese food, they want pizza, and someone is always craving Froyo. Well, there's something for everyone on DoorDash. Ordering is easy. Open up the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want, and your items will be left safely outside your door with our default contactless delivery setting. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BOBCAST23. That's 25% off, up to $10 in value, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BOBCAST23. Don't forget, that's code BOBCAST23 for 25% off of your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. And we are back. Our thanks again, once again, Scott Burnside, Eric Tajik, for uh, joining us today. Well, as I mentioned uh, off the top of the program, the Toronto Raptors took it upon themselves to make a decision on Nick Nurse. Nurse, near the end of the year, as you may know, about two weeks ago, mentioned that he wondered whether um, his time with the Toronto Raptors was coming to an end, whether he should be looking somewhere else. But all that was done. He, we knew he had one year left on his contract. And the way Nick was framing this was that it was going to be his decision ultimately as to whether to come back or not. Do you think, John, that maybe Nurse had an inkling that his position with the Raptors wasn't secure? Absolutely. I'll tell you what. Um, if you look back at the timeline, our pal Doug Smith came out with a story three and a half weeks ago that suggested a that uh 
Nick Nurse's name has surfaced in Houston to be the head coach of the Rockets, and that if Nurse was to leave, Udoko, the former Boston coach, was going to be a candidate for the Raptor job. Unsolicited from anybody, but somehow that got into the Toronto Star. This was before that Friday night press conference in Philadelphia that Nick Nurse had when he was asked the question about what do you think is going to happen next year? And I truthfully believe that Nurse felt, well, hold on. How did this story that Doug Smith had, and God bless Doug Smith, how did this story leak out? Where did it come from? Was this, you know, uh, a censor being sent out about the future of Nick Nurse with the with the Raptors. So he felt an obligation to have to give his side when he was asked the question. So he's asked the question and he gives a very honest answer saying, you know what, I might take a step back. Right. I might and he didn't do he didn't do the classic coach speak and say, well, you know, I'm only focused on the game against the Sixers. I'm only focused on getting this team to the playoffs. He was very thoughtful. He was very open. Uh, and I think that caught the Raptors off guard, Bob. I really do. I think that, and I think the next day Masai was on the phone saying, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And I think they probably had a pretty candid conversation about, well, I'm reading about Udoku coming to be my replacement. What's going on here? And I think, I think that day, I think that cemented Nick Nurse was going to be dismissed as the coach of the Toronto Raptors. You think the general manager had made that decision already? I think the president of, of basketball operations, Masai Ujiri. Yeah. I think he had. I think he was leaning that way, and I think that was the tipping point. I think that put him over the top. And um, you know, when when you hear Masai talk in his press conference on Friday, that he says, uh, you, you know, the, the the decision was made after the the play-in game against the Bulls where they were up 19 and then ended up losing. Um, and and he, he hated to lose, and it was a bad season. I, I, I don't blame him. You and I have talked about what what's right with this team, what's wrong with this team. But I think, I, I think by doing what he did to Nurse, he is putting all the blame for the failure of this team on Nick Nurse, and he's not taking any responsibility himself. Would you have fired Nick Nurse? I, I gather you wouldn't. I would not have. I think when you look, but you listen, I mean, what, what you Jerry and Bobby Webster probably did was listen to the player exit meetings and saying what's right with wrong with this team. What's the communication issue with the coach? You know, are we going in the right direction? And what happened was that uh, in the end, and I think, I, I do think that Masai had already decided, but he, the players probably reinforced that uh, if Nick wasn't going to change, then it then Nick had to go. I, I take it that one of the issues, I wouldn't say the only issue, but one of the issues with Nurse was the fact that he did not play his bench. He did not go very deep. He had a reluctance to play a bunch of players who do, weren't starters. Do you, do you think that was an issue that uh, the, the uh, president was, you know, opposed to? Um. It, it's only a guess, but I would suspect that um, what management, you know, gives, you know, a, a coach 15 players to use and expects them to be used at appropriate times in order to develop them. But Nick Nurse's job is to win. Is to win, right, exactly. And, and so now we have we have divergent mission statements. Where are we going? What are we doing? But 
you know, again, Masai talked today about, you know, the the difficulty that Scotty Barnes had. Well, is that on Nick Nurse? Is is that is was that Nick Nurse's problem? No, I don't think so. Scotty Barnes had op- plenty of opportunity. He had opportunity Correct. every night. Correct. And I think he was below average, to tell you the truth. I know you don't agree with me. No, no, basketball I, I, guys I, generally don't either. But I think I he think was Barnes distracted. Was a big disappointment. I think Barnes was distracted all season long. I think he was distracted. I think that he had By too what? much too soon. All the outside influences of the game. I mean, and it, and and you you might think I sound I'm silly, but you know this kid's 21 years old. He's being bombarded with everything, whether it being you know. And, and Masai talked about this in the press conference, saying he didn't even want to go to the to the uh, NBA championship, the NBA finals, to pick up his rookie of the year trophy because uh, he you know he didn't understand that that's part of the obligation when you play in the National Basketball Association but I th- I look at all the attention he got off the court all the commercials all the pushing and pulling and you know I mean heck Bob I watched one night I watched four different commercials with Scotty Barnes in it and he's 21 years old that's, well, that's got to go to your head no but that's got to go to your head at some point that's got to tell you that you're bigger than the team well, I don't know how he thinks that. I mean, he certainly nobody thought that Scotty Barnes was the best player on the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. In spite of what you may think of him individually. Look, Siakam and probably Van Vliet would come ahead of Barnes. He he may be third, but then you've got Ananobi. Yeah. And and there are people who love Ananobi. So, you know, he might be the fourth cog in the wheel. And uh, for him to have four commercials on television running at the same time, that's pretty good. Yeah, I'd be very happy with that. You must be his agent then. Well, no, but I, I mean, shouldn't you be? <laughs> well, I, I, all I'm saying is, and I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not talking about the actual commercials. I'm talking about the whole concept of distractions of why you are playing this game. Focus on your off, your on court. Focus on your conditioning. Focus well, exactly. on, on the game. And that pl- and that couldn't happen. There are plenty of Scotty Barnes-type players in the National Basketball Association in all sport. And the vast majority of them figure out how to do it better. And, and get better. And quicker. And quicker. And he yeah. really did not. Yeah. Yeah. So so now Masai also touched on that there was going to have to be more changes. Uh, where does that put a guy like Siakam? Well, um, well, that I don't know. I don't know how it relates to Siakam more than any other player, but nonetheless. Well, are you signing Van, re-signing Van Vliet now? Are you picking up the option? Look, uh, you're, if you're asking me what I think the Raptors will do, the answer is I have no idea. Uh, you have a new coach coming in. Are you not going to consult with him? Or are you going to be Jesus and, and sitting above? How much do you think they consulted with Nick? I don't have any idea. Yeah, I, I, I would. I'm, I'm not sure that, even though they claim to have a good relationship, and you know, Look, I think you, that this was a classic a coach. case. This was a classic case of management saying, "Here are the players. You play them, and I'm not going to tell you who to play, but you better win." Maybe, but it seems to me that what I would do if I was the general manager of a pro sports team is I'd, I'd bring the coach in, and I'd say, "What do you think of this?" I mean, I would consult with my head coach. It doesn't mean I, I take every answer from him, but I certainly I wouldn't be above him. Tell you um, what, this this is you know remember the remember the story of of 
how Edward Rogers thought that Masai shouldn't get this contract because it was too much money and um, and and the whole concept that Masai was putting himself above everybody and the amount of money he was going to get was something that not the whole board agreed on. Yeah, Masai's put himself on the on on the front line now. Masai well, sure has put has. himself is on the front line. But he did that. He did that through the whole year because he, you know, in at least in, for one reason, <coughs> he chose not to talk on a regular basis. So he had no idea what he was thinking. No idea all year long what he thought of this roster or of how Nick Nurse was using it. Now, my guess is by firing Nurse, he believes he provided a roster that was better than 41 wins. He provided a better roster than Nick Nurse produced victories from. Although he did, say, he did say he did say he did admit that uh, he, he didn't like the way the team played most of the season. Uh, which you know is which kind of reflects what you know most fans thought and what you and I talked about as the season went on too. Well, look, I think you have to. I think you have to look at at what they had and the way it was used. And one of the excuses that inevitably comes up is it wasn't the roster was not used properly by the head coach. And I think that's it's realistic to suggest that. Um, what I don't know is is this roster good enough? to be 10 wins better. Uh, and I don't think it is. I mean, well, I, I, think that's, that I, 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 I think that's, the, I think that's the challenge. And I think that, you know, that's, you, you know, and I, something tells me, I think that that that's probably part of the conversation that Nick nurse and Masai and Bobby Webster have had for the last seven to 10 days. Well, I don't know whether nurse was involved in those decisions. Like my sense is that Masai does what he wants to do by himself. And he doesn't care about what anybody else thinks. That's my 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 opinion. But do I know that? Of course not. Yeah. Well, it, it it's funny how um, the the process that they have put in place for this team and and access to information. I I think that you know Toronto is a big market. T- Toronto has a lot of people talking about this basketball team constantly. Um, and I think that teams succeed with transparency. I think there's a lot more to say that if, if you know where we're going, how we're doing it, um, that you have a better chance of, of getting, you know, your fan base to buy in. And well, I don't, do you, but you, I, you don't have a sense. I take it of what this team is going to do. Are they going to resign Van Vliet? Will they trade a, a, a Siakam and Ananobi, you know? What is this team going to look like? It could look a lot like this team next year, but will it? And I don't think we know the answer to that. Question. No, we, I don't think we do. But he, the, the, you know, the the discussion was a, a refit of this organization. That's another one. It used to be a re, it used to be just rebuild. Then it was a retool. Now we're talking a refit. I don't know what that means now. So that'll that'll be fascinating to watch with this team. But I. I if I'm Masai now and I get rid of a guy who I think was a pretty darn good coach and, and did a pretty good job under the circumstances of lots of different things, including COVID, including a year in Tampa, um, I'm blowing the whole thing up now. I am. I'm blowing the whole thing up. Do you think uh, the players threw, him, threw Nick under the bus in their exit well, meetings? I think there's a good likelihood of that. So do I. Uh, so do I. I. I think that uh, there was a a point where whether that was 
a, a factor or not, but I think that there was obviously things said by some guys that, you know, kind of gave Maasai license to say, okay, we need to, we need to fix and we need to change and we need to move on. So, but the question, the question I think you have to ask is if you're Maasai and what you're hearing is negatives on Nick Nurse, are this, is this from guys that you ha- believe are part of the future of the Raptors or the future itself or guys that you're, you're contemplating trading? Cause I'm, <laughs> I'm not question. interested. That's I'm not question. interested in the opinion of guys I'm going to trade anyway. Are you? No, no, but that, and, but you, again, we've, we've had this discussion two or three times with others. Tell me what the core of this team is. Well, they don't have one is the answer. Then I, then I'm blowing the whole thing up. Then I'm starting from scratch and next year I'll, we're going to win 20 games as I re as I refit and retool and rebuild my team. So you're going to, you're, you're going to trade the, the key players on your team and you're going to trade them for what draft choices and young players. Sure. Why not? Why, why not? not? Well, well, because, well, because I mean, the, the one thing that I, I respect Masai for is that all he wants to do is win championships. All he but wants remember, to do is win championships. Exactly. But remember, he came here with a team and, and, and led a team that had been to a bunch and was in a bunch of consecutive playoff appearances. So he has never had, other than that one year, the Tampa year, he has not had a bad team. And he has not had to, had to rebuild this clean, this team. He basically made one deal that, that is talked about over and over and over again. And we know what that deal was. Sure. And that's what I'm saying. So, so let's this this core, whatever the core is, this this group of fifteen cannot win the NBA title. It cannot win it. I think so everybody agrees. So let's find a way in the next five years to create a team that can win another championship. Well, because mediocrity I, is not the answer. Well, now you're gonna now you're gonna bring in a new coach, and and he may have a bunch of new players. So this is going to be a very interesting transition. And there's re- there is good reason to believe that the Toronto Raptors will not be a playoff team again next year. Very there's a a good a real good reason to believe that. Mm-hmm. We shall see. Uh that'll do it for us for today. For John Shannon, this is Bob McCowan. Have a nice weekend, everybody, and we'll uh, see you on Monday. 